Hey there, everybody. It's Chad from the CME again. As you probably know by now, it is Pledge Month over at the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're putting all of our normal Patreon content up for free at the regular CME feed, just to give you a little taste of what's happening behind the paywall. If you like what you hear, please consider joining us over there at patreon.com slash co-main-event. We like to think it's the best little community in MMA. If you sign up for an annual subscription of $10 or more right now during Pledge Month, you get 10% off and we'll send you a free t-shirt. Remember, we're a totally independently produced podcast, so we rely on the generosity of listeners like you to keep this train on the tracks. Again, join us over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Next up this week is Doing the Damn Thing, where we take a break from MMA and we talk about other things we think you guys might like. We hope you enjoy it. Here you go. What is up, everybody? I'm Chad, that's Ben, and we are doing the damn thing. It's the podcast exclusively for the $10 and $20 patrons of the co-main event, This is the show where we talk about all the non-MMA-related content we think might be of interest to you guys. Of course, this episode is beaming out for free to all the non-patrons over on the podcast feed of the proper, so this will be their introduction to doing the damn thing. Ben, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I feel like uh, it's too much pressure, honestly. I'm going to crack. Yeah, if you bow out, if you want to bow out, that's, that's understandable this week. If I if you see me just freezing up, staring straight into my little laptop camera with my eyes wide in a panic-stricken fear, uh, just that's your sign to carry the show, brother. Okay, you know, yeah. Tell some stories, tell some jokes if you know any. Just sort of riff, you know. You might have to riff a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm used to uh, taking the reins when you're not up to it. When you maybe when you've had an off weekend, you know. What's that supposed to mean? You know, what are you implying? Hung over on the nod from the dope, the dope that you take. <laughs> on the nod. <laughs> Somebody's fucking grandpa has been reading, you know, Facebook <laughs> blogs about drug use. Yeah, no, I've heard about the fentanyl, man. I, I know. I know how, how it goes. So doing the damn thing is a little bit different than our other podcasts and the new listeners to the show. I think we'll realize that straight away. Today, we have a little bit of a mashup between MMA and international politics. We're going to talk about this story recently published in The Economist about the MMA fighting brothers Abu and Atman Azatar and their relationship with the King of Morocco, which sounds like it's pretty strange. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, and people who, if you're wondering, where have I heard the names uh, of the Azatar brothers before? I'll just say this, potatoes. Yeah. Remember this? that strange ass story from the uh, the UFC bubble in Abu Dhabi, Fight Island, where one of them got kicked out because he had left the quarantine zone and tried to sneak back in, and it was all supposedly about getting a bag of potatoes. Which I'll tell you what, I didn't believe that story for a second when I heard it, and after reading about these guys a little bit, 
I believe it even less. Yeah, it was not a bag full of potatoes. That was back at UFC 257 a couple of years ago. I think they both have since been suspended for violating the USADA protocols, but perhaps just the one of them, I'm not totally sure. Uh, That is not necessarily all that germane to this week's conversation. The point is the Azatar brothers and their relationship with King Mohammed VI is drawing some worry and criticism in Morocco itself. And so I think it's going to be an interesting discussion on this show. And then, of course, coming up during the second half of doing the damn thing, we'll have cracking up as we await game five between Seattle and the Dallas Stars. But, Ben, before we get into any of that, how you doing? Well, Chad, I have recently kind of become a convert already, but basically just adopted the the hottest new tech of 10 years ago. Yeah. I refer now, of course, to my Fitbit. Okay, I'm glad you brought this up because you were just making fun of me a minute ago for sounding like somebody's grandpa talking about <laughs> drug use. I think the best going, the best thing going on social media right now is Ben Folks being totally obsessed with his Fitbit, posting the graphs of his his heart rate during his mm-hmm. daily walks. Uh, that's the most boomer shit out there, man. Like yeah, I can talk all I want to about the being on the nod, but here you are, yeah. just got a Fitbit, and all of a sudden uh, you're over here worrying about if you're getting your ten thousand steps in every day. Oh, I'm gonna get those ten thousand steps. Don't even worry, but that's child's play. 10,000 steps. Fuck out of here. So what had happened was the the media company that I work for, Katina Media, they're having like sort of a, a contest this month where they sent us all Fitbits, if we didn't already have one, and tracking everybody's steps. And first, especially when I saw the prizes for like first, second, and third place, they're very generous prizes. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. This is a good time of year to be outside in Montana. I got a, a high-energy dog that I got to keep up with anyway. We we do a fair amount of hiking. This is the time of year when I, I tend to rediscover outdoor trail running. I like I like to run outdoors, but I'm not one of these crazy motherfuckers who's out here with, like, little crampons on my shoe to run on the icy streets at 5 o'clock in the morning in December and January in Montana. I'm not doing that. But... When it gets nice outside, I'll get out there. So I figured, all right, you know, I get some steps in anyway. Uh, maybe I got a shot at this thing. We're two days in. And nope. It's just, I don't know what these people are doing or how they're doing it. Although I do know at least a couple people, since we're all pretty much remote, uh, a couple people definitely have those. You seen those little treadmills that you can put under your standing desk? Yeah. They're not like a full-size treadmill. They don't go up to the full speed kind of stuff. But you could just do walking stuff pretty much all day at your standing desk if you want to. And I suspect that might be what's going on. Yeah. Because some of these people were two days in. Again, two days. And some of these people have logged basically like 30 miles a day. Like it's it's insane the number of steps these people have, have taken, at least according to the leaderboard. Now, so I'm... Still enjoying just keeping track of mine, though. Although, I was really curious to see what it would do with hockey. How it would even make sense of it. And hockey seems to just confuse the hell out of it, man. It doesn't know what to make of it. Because it's like, 
I go on, you know, trail runs in the morning with my dog kind of every other day. And then we'll also like sprinkle in some hikes or just walks around the neighborhood or something. And it knows right away when I'm running, it'll be like, we detected you went on a run. Here's your stats for your run. And it'll show you the little like heart rate stats. You can tell where the hills were. You can, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting to get the data afterwards. And I was like, okay, it's going to be fun to look at the hockey thing. And after I went and played hockey last night, it was like, we don't know what the fuck you were doing. Like <laughs> your heart rate was way up, but then back down. But then way up again, then back down. You you didn't take that many steps that we actually recorded, but you also were moving at, at speeds that we didn't think were really like running speeds. And so it was just kind of confused. It was just like a period of high intense activity. Like that was kind of all it knew what to do with it, which was a little disappointing for me. Yeah. But it does still I'll tell you the thing that I that I have to admit is kind of good about it that I've heard people say before and that I just kind of like wrote off as bullshit is just having some kind of like reminder every once in a while. Like it'll be 10 minutes to the hour. The thing will buzz on my wrist and be like, you're 114 steps away from the next thousand marker. You know, why don't you get up from your desk? You slovenly bastard. And why don't you just go get those steps? Just walk around the house, walk up and down the stairs a little bit, walk down to the kitchen, walk, you know, just like that, you can hit it. And just having that reminder, just like maybe just don't sit here staring at the computer screen, typing out bullshit all day long. Maybe get up and move around a little bit. Like yeah. I, I feel that's there is a use in that. Yeah. So is there no setting on there where you can tell it what you're doing? You can't be like, this is hockey. And then it like kind of recalibrates itself. For I, there that? are settings on there. Well, at least, I mean, I've only had it for a couple of days, so it's possible that there's more availability on the thing than I have realized at this point but there are settings where you can be like you can tell it like i'm going on a run i'm going on this but it, like i haven't seen one for ice hockey yeah you know yeah maybe only in the canadian version they have oh, that yeah, for sure the Man, canadian they, fitbits they're like Shh, are, why aren't you playing hockey right now <laughs> uh they keep trying to give me an apple watch every time i like do some shit like i get a new phone i go to verizon whatever they're like oh you can have a free apple watch and i'm like i don't want that shit I don't want a fucking watch telling me what my heart is doing and like what my stats are and if I'm going to die or whatever. I don't, I don't want it. I don't want the, my watch peeping on me like that. So I'm good. So I, I'm okay. I'm going to avoid it as long as I can until they put Here's the, the chips thing, in our arms. <laughs> the one thing I don't quite know what to do with yet as far as all this data is it was like, okay, do you want to like us to let you know how your sleep is doing everything? Where are the thing to sleep? I wore it to sleep a couple nights and... For one thing, I it's a little depressing to see the data on it afterwards because, like, it'll be like, your target was eight hours of sleep. You got six and a half. And I'm like, well, okay. I know I didn't get as much sleep as I wanted to because I didn't go to bed on time. I stayed up late doing stuff. I was reading in bed later than I wanted to, looking at my phone, playing chess on my phone when I should have been going to sleep. I know that. You don't got to tell me that. But then it will do stuff like, oh, you were awake this amount of time, you were restless this amount of time. And I'm like, I was really like, shit, man. Okay. But like, also fuck you want me to do about it. Like if I could just hit myself over the head with a cartoon mallet and knock myself out for exactly eight hours and then wake up refreshed. Don't you think I would do that? But like, I'm trying, I'm trying yeah. to sleep. Stop telling me I'm doing sleep wrong. But then it also, at some point was like, we detected signs like weird heart rate patterns in your sleep like multiple times, like while I'm asleep at night and like, you should talk to a doctor. And I was like, okay, this does seem odd, especially that like what my heart rate would jack way up and way down that like, without me noticing. 
But like, then you put me in a position of, am I really going to be the asshole that rolls into the doctor's office? Like the Fitbit said, there's something wrong with my heart. Can you do a series of expensive tests and then tell me you don't fucking know? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, what I'm going to do is what I'm doing right now. I'm going to talk about it so that if I suddenly die of a heart attack, you'll be like, well, Ben mentioned something was going on with his heart. Yeah. And, that's, and then you can raise awareness. You can be like, <laughs> oh. people should listen to they fit bits. I love to raise awareness. I mean, if you do, you do die suddenly, then you'll be the asshole who had a warning about his heart and didn't do, didn't take the, the necessary steps to figure out what it was. And frankly, if I'm going to be honest with you, if I'm going to be real, real son, I'd rather be that asshole. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I get it. If I have to choose between being the asshole who just drops dead of a, of a heart thing that is his weird big brotherish wrist device tried to warn him about or be the asshole that goes in and is like, I got a Fitbit two days ago and that, it says my heart. And, and, and like, I'd rather be the dead asshole. Okay. I legitimately would. Okay. Well, let's take it slow and steady. Let's wait a, wait a couple more days. See if the Fitbit okay. is still saying that. I think the Fitbit doesn't know what the fuck it's talking about. The heart rate thing. But that's me. How are you doing, Chad? Well, we've already started out this thing sounding like a couple of over-the-hill, middle-aged, out-of-touch boomers. So I'm going to just continue to date myself here, Ben. I was a little bit bummed out this morning while I was surfing the World Wide Webs, looking around oh, no. uh, at the news It's usually such an uplifting experience to you know, surf the World on, Wide Webs. Over on my AOL account, uh, <laughs> looking, at the, looking at the news headlines on... Uh, on angel fire or whatever it is. Uh, the huge yeah. ass font on your phone, holding it way away from your face. <laughs> MTV news is shutting down. And like, I feel like MTV news was a not insignificant piece of my childhood. And I understand that it's probably hard to explain to younger people what a ubiquitous force, both MTV itself and for me, MTV news was in pop culture and music like when I was growing up. But I'll tell you what, back when I was like six, they used to split kindergarten into half days in Missoula, Montana. You would go like either in the morning or the afternoon. And I was part of the afternoon kindergarten group. And my mom, since she was a single mom, was working like two jobs I would spend all fucking morning watching MTV. That's all I would do is sit there and watch fucking Huey Lewis in the news and Bruce at Springsteen. You're, Madonna, you're five or six years old. White this Snake. Time? Oh, yeah. No, that video where Tawny Katane does the splits on the hood of the oh, car. Yeah. That, was sure that was a bit, of an, a bit yeah. of an awakening. It was a bit of an awakening for me back in those days. Uh, and, you know, part of that was MTV News is Kurt Loder coming on to tell you, like, what was going on in the world of music and what am I, you know, I remember Kurt Loder telling me that, uh, that Kurt Cobain killed himself on my birthday. It was just found out by watching MTV news. And it was just sort of a, it was like this centralized location, not only to find out about music, but also there was this sort of like informational component to it that now that I know that it's gone, I retroactively look back and I'm like, dang, like I, I was I got a lot of exposure to MTV news. I found out a lot of shit via MTV news. And now it is apparently, I guess, probably succumb to the internet. 
Yeah, I guess my question would be, when's the last time you found out something from MTV News? Well, when they stopped playing music on the channel, I kind of drifted away from it once it became eight strangers living in an RV, taking part in various physical competitions from coast to coast. I was like, ah, I'm going to check out. I'm going to check out of this. So it had been a while, but it's still like, you know, pour one out. A little bit of a bittersweet moment, nostalgic moment for me today to find out that they're they're shutting down the old rock pile. The old MTV news won't be there anymore. The old rock pile. I It is funny how as, as soon as you even say the words MTV news, I can hear the like the little opening soundbite thing of where it was like the typewriter font, like smashing the screen, like don't, 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 don't. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then going into update like this just in, so-and-so drove their car through a hotel lobby. Yeah, it was amazing. Now it's gone. Now it's gone. All right, let's get into talking to talking about this story over that was on The Economist. The story is by Nicholas Pelham. We'll put a link to the story in case anybody wants to read it into the post over on the Patreon page. You can find it there. Now, you were supposed to have a subscription to The Economist before you can read this, but you can sign up for a free month and that'll get you in to read it. That's what I did. And now we all just got to remember not not to forget to cancel. We got to yeah. remember to no, cancel. I got, a, I got an iCal alert going. Tells oh. me tomorrow, cancel The Economist. Yeah. No, there was a little while ago where my wife was like, do we have a subscription to The Wall Street Journal? And I was like, no, come on. What do we do with a subscription to the Wall Street Journal? And then I looked at the bank statements and I was like, oh, holy shit. We have been getting charged for the Wall Street Journal for like 18 months because I probably signed up to read some dumbass MMA story and uh, forgot to cancel. So the moral of the story, kids, is don't forget to cancel your subscription to The Economist if you log on to read this dumbass MMA story. It's amazing what MMA has done to you and like in the inadvertent subscriptions area of your life because Mm -hmm. you also for a time had three different ESPN (laughs) plus subscriptions that you didn't realize was happening. Well, I mean that they shouldn't allow that to happen because I had, I had three (laughs) different ESPN plus subscriptions all from the same email address, all with the same password. So how would I even know that they existed? Like they should have a thing that's like, hey man, you can't sign up for that because you already there already is an existing account from oh, yeah. that email no. with that password. Sure, they should totally have a thing where they're like, No, you cannot give us any more money, you idiot. Hey, I'll say this. When I finally did figure it out and I contacted the customer service, I had one of the better online customer service experiences with ESPN and ESPN plus that I've had with anybody. Cause they were just immediately like, okay, we'll cancel these other ones and we will refund your money that you accidentally paid us for these two ghost subscriptions to ESPN plus that you don't even know how you signed up for. So that was, you know, that was a positive experience actually. Before we start talking about this actual story involving the potato smuggling Azatar brothers, I want to talk a little bit just about Morocco and about King Mohammed VI because uh, I think that's important as a like bedrock foundational facts before we start talking about this. Mohammed VI is the 58-year-old king of Morocco. Uh, and I'll be honest, Ben, I knew next to nothing about Morocco before reading this story, which probably means that I still know next to nothing about Morocco. But the things that I found out were as follows. Morocco, of course, 
is a North African country. It's right across the Strait of Gibraltar from Spain and uh, Portugal. It's a popular tourist destination in that part of the world and is seen in the West, either rightly or wrongly, as being slightly more stable than other countries, either in that region or in the Middle East. And so it has established itself as a sort of popular tourist destination. It's been spared a lot of the upheaval that we've seen in other Middle Eastern countries over the last decade or so, uh, because Morocco did, in fact, enact some reforms and did some progressive stuff. But at the same time, Morocco has this constitutional monarchy where there exists a large governmental bureaucracy, but also a king. And the king of Morocco, Mohammed VI, still has pretty much the power to rule single-handedly on a lot of issues. So this guy, who we are talking about this week, he's still very important to Morocco. He's not just a figurehead monarch. He still has a lot of power there, and he can still affect the lives of people and and the the political situation there. Ben, what was your Morocco knowledge before reading this story? Were you a big Morocco head? You know, the only thing that I really knew about Morocco is, one, that it is a sort of surprisingly popular tourist destination. I know several people who have gone to Morocco hmm. uh, on, on tourist things. And from what they said about it, it seemed awesome. Yeah. It seemed really cool to, to go and see. Um, and then, of course, them also doing pretty well in the dang World Cup. Just here recently. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's a good touchstone for you. Yes, yeah. So those are kind of the things. Uh, I would not have been able to tell you much about its governmental system or about how things might have changed since the the period of the Arab Spring. But I was interested to really learn a lot of that stuff here. The thing that is fascinating to me about this article, and I almost feel like, I was gamed a little bit with this article because you get me with a good hook. You're going to get me an MMA fan by being like, hey, remember to these MMA fighters who seemed like they might even be a little too shady even for the UFC? (laughs) Well, the reason you haven't seen them trying to jump in the cage lately is because they have been broing down with the king of Morocco hardcore and to the point where like – they might just be off partying with the guy constantly and he's not doing any of his kingly duties and advisors are starting to get worried that we're just that basically as somebody puts it like there's there's a crisis and you're at the beach and the actual story itself i feel like is way more interesting once you get into it as a sort of character study of a person who is born into this hereditary yeah. monarchy is maybe not that well suited for it just in terms of his character and his interests. Yeah. Let me jump in there for a second. Cause this guy, Muhammad the sixth, who is current King of Morocco is the son of King Hassan, the second who, according to this article really sounds like a hard charging asshole. Like <laughs> everything you think about when you think about a tyrannical autocrat sounds like it was true about Hassan, the second up to, and including being a pretty huge dick to his son, it sounds like. And perhaps, you know, not coincidentally, Muhammad VI grew up a bit removed from and perhaps not a huge fan of the Moroccan monarchy. And then when his dad died and he became king, it pretty quickly became apparent that he did not have a ton of interest in actually ruling. He spent like a couple of years trying to reform the bureaucracy of the government and apparently successfully like ushering in some reforms, but he got sick of it pretty fast. And since then, 
Uh, he has largely kept a fairly low profile. In fact, Ben, I would say it honestly sounds like he has been a bit of a party boy. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it kind of sounds like he's always been a little bit of a party boy. Yeah. And that it has been up and down as far as its influence on his life. like Because it, it describes him... As a child, sort of cloistered in this palace and dreaming of a life outside its walls. And honestly, this story, one of the things that I really like about this story is its eye for the telling detail, uh, especially in like a character study kind of sense. Because it talks about he, like, as the son of this hard-charging asshole, as you describe him, living a pretty restricted life inside this palace and in a way music becoming a big thing as in his life as a a sort of glimpse of the outside world or or a a opportunity to dream about the outside world i'll read this paragraph here as a child muhammad was interested in anything that conjured up the world elsewhere quote he never went outside the palace walls and fantasized about what lay beyond says a childhood friend one of his favorite songs was Breakfast in America by the English rock band Supertramp, a pain to the, the, uh, to the appeal of escaping in a jumbo jet. He excelled at languages and went abroad shortly after finishing his master's in public law in Rabat. Officially, he was interning at the European Commission, but Europe's nightlife seemed to have appealed to him more than its committee rooms. According to another biography of Muhammad by Furin Sales Aegi, I'm sure I'm nailing it, an El Pei journalist, Hassan's spies informed him that the young prince was frequenting bars. The king's dissatisfaction with his son grew. A chromosome error, he was once reported to have <laughs> remarked in despair. He sent Muhammad to study law in Nice and dispatched his interior minister to keep an eye on him. And it tells us even that when he comes home to Morocco, he... Uh, spends much of his time in a club called Amnesia, which is basically in a basement uh, in Morocco's capital. And frankly, sounds like a place that I want to go if I ever get a chance to visit Morocco. And at one point, he has a friend who lives in the apartment building that is above Amnesia install an elevator in his building just so that he can appear to go to the friend's place and then just take the elevator straight down to the basement club. Yeah. Uh, So... Seems like, you know, that was always sort of a thing for him and that somebody like here you see somebody where it seems like he would rather be partying all the time or rather just be traveling, seeing the world, that kind of stuff. And then he, through the circumstances of his birth, gets put in charge of this country and for a little while was maybe going to take that seriously. But ultimately, he still just wants to party. And yeah. here he is surrounded by opulence and wealth and what's in him naturally to do it seems is to use that stuff to have a good time rather than to use that stuff to do any actual ruling of the country which he just frankly does not ever seem that interested in and i would say to a certain extent that's understandable right like at more than anything it seems like at at least as a younger man this guy just kind of wanted to get out and live his life rather than be tucked away inside this palace in morocco studying his ass off at the behest of his ridiculous asshole father who would have him whipped by, uh, you know, toadies if he fell behind in his classwork. And then, you know, now he just wants to get out there and have a couple drinks, have a couple few soda pops and see what's happening up in the club. But through some of his contacts in the international music industry, enter the Azatar brothers, who he kind of gets hooked up with and starts... He's one of the fun things that I like 
on here is that he starts showing up on their social medias. Like the Azatar brothers start yeah. posting pictures of them broing down with the king and Moroccans are like, uh-oh, what's this about? What's, uh, what's going on? It'd be like if the president invited Colby Covington to the White House. Uh, but here they are. They've entered his life and kind of as like personal trainers under the guise of like, hey, man, we're going to get we're going to try to get this fat out of shape king into the best shape of his life. And whether or not they have taken on the role of Svengali's or they have actually started to exert all this influence over his life, it does sound like now they're basically bros. They're like best friends, if nothing yeah. else, with the king of Morocco. And he has kind of kind of decided, fuck all this other bullshit. I just want to hang out with my MMA fighter friends having fun. And you can imagine, knowing everything that we know about MMA fighters, how that has gone for the country of Morocco, because they are basically using their connections with the king to have access to sports cars and money and private jets and military aircraft if they want to fly around in that. They're basically like uh, scheduling his meetings, who he will see and who he will not see, and in some cases telling his family to get lost because the king doesn't want to see yeah. him. And just sort of like they moved him to France at one point so that basically they can hang out and party. So it just sounds like, uh, you know, maybe the king of Morocco met some cool friends that have uh, grown to have undue influence on him, it seems. Now, Otman Azatir, he fought, uh, he was undefeated up until his most recent fight. He fought just recently in November. Uh, at the show at Madison Square Garden. He was 13-0 going into that one, had won two UFC fights prior to that first-round finishes of Timu Pakalin and Kama Worthy. And then two years goes by, he doesn't fight kind of at all, it seems, because he's having a good time. Having a good time in Morocco, maybe. Then shows back up, uh, maybe after sleeping on somebody else's silk sheets, and it's been getting hard to get up and do the road work and get the rounds in. Goes in there, runs into the steamroller, Matt Frivola. Yeah. Gets knocked out in the first round. Uh, and then haven't seen him since then. It, it does seem like... How many MMA fighters, if you were to like, hey, you could just go and be essentially the lifestyle consultant and party bro of a king of a small North African nation and leave this life behind. Like, yeah, hell yeah, brother. Let's go do that. Instead of going out here fighting for fucking like you know twenty and twenty in the UFC or whatever it is, uh, and but it also seems like it's such a fascinating world where the they they've got their own sort of like deep state thing going on, except yeah. theirs seems to be real and like a, a sprawling intelligence agency that uh, is doing all of the stuff that you can imagine an intelligence agency would do in a like uh, autocratic monarchy where they still are trying to enforce a lot of pretty restrictive laws and they have almost unchecked power. It sounds like they're doing a lot of that stuff. And now people are starting to wonder there's basically people in Morocco are starting to look around at the, at what is essentially the secret police and starting to be like, Hey, are you guys going to do anything about this situation where these two meathead MMA fighters have hijacked the king? Are you guys, would you guys think about stepping in at any point? Or are we just going to let this go on like this? 
Well, and it notes that the the Ozeteers grew up in Germany. Their their family had emigrated under the the Gastarbeiter program, the the guest worker program in Germany, and. It, here, here's an interesting paragraph here. Two of the quickest ways to escape the Gastarbeiter underclass are crime and sport. The Azatirs pursued both vocations. As teenagers, Abu and his identical twin Omar got involved in the violent fringes of Cologne's nightclub scene. Abu later admitted to a German newspaper that he was beating people up and robbing them, quote, almost every day. In 2004, Abu was sentenced to two years in prison for taking part in an attack on a businessman who was doused in lighter fuel and then deprived of his Ferrari. Chad, you ever been deprived of your Ferrari? <laughs> I would never allow it to happen. I would be okay. like, light, light the match, fool. Let's go. <laughs> I've been deprived of mine my entire natural <laughs> life. He was back in court shortly after his release for punching his girlfriend at a Christmas market and puncturing her eardrum. When asked about newspaper reports of his criminal record years later, the Ultimate Fighting Championship fighter replied in broken English, when we are young, everybody do something wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, not only is it... <laughs> We've talked before about how MMA seems to have a special ability to just find the worst people. And here, I mean, we how many times have we seen this story before? Usually it will go like this. UFC signs this guy. Bloody Elbow does a story about this guy's extensive criminal record and or at times neo-Nazi affiliations or, or history of domestic violence or something. UFC says, uh, after all, we thought about it and we're not going to sign him. And we changed our minds, like revealing at times that they didn't do any sort of research on these guys. Here you got these guys where it seemed like in Germany, people knew what they were about pretty well. Coming to the UFC, we don't really give a shit. Uh, until you make too many headlines by sneaking out of the bubble and trying to claim it was all over a bag of potatoes. And then on top of that, you're also going to go and fail some drug tests. And then we go, okay, maybe these guys are more troubled than they're worth. Um, But then, hey, you can just fuck off to Morocco where you get to be good friends with the king to the point where you are increasingly acting as advisors that shut out the other advisors. And the fascinating thing to me about was when we learn about this sort of intelligence agency that is known for using especially sex stuff as blackmail material and extortion material that known for like recording people's sexual encounters and then either sending it to your family members or threatening to have you brought up on charges of like even stuff like sex outside of marriage, which is illegal in Morocco, according to this story. And people are looking at them being like, they got to have something on the Azatire brothers by now, right? (laughs) Like it says at one point that there was not like less of a sense that whether or not they do have something on them, but when and how will they use it? Yeah. And that's that seems to be sort of an open question at this point. Yeah, and you can imagine that people would get nervous just because Muhammad VI has never been that tuned in of a leader anyway. He's never really been that focused. Now he seems completely disconnected from his job as essentially the single ruler of Morocco. But shit is still happening in Morocco. There are still problems in Morocco. They're having many of the problems that nations across the world are having with uh, wealth disparity and, uh, you know, other social problems that need someone to handle them. And right now the king is not doing it. So it sounds like the sprawling bureaucracy is sort of trying to like push back and do it, but they need the king to come back in and weigh in on some of this shit. So people are starting to talk about abdication, whether or not King Muhammad the sixth should basically give up the throne either to his brother or his son and allow them 
to come in and take the reins of what is actually going on in Morocco. But the funny part about that is that the person who has ultimate control over whether or not the throne gets abdicated is the king of Morocco. And so it sounds like despite the fact that King Mohammed VI is not that into actually doing the job. It sounds like he is stoked about the lifestyle and the money. So up to this point, he is sort of like, no, I'm going to keep being the king. But it kind of casts the whole future of both that monarchy and the country in some ways into doubt because (laughs) of these two UFC fighters that became friends with the king. Well, and you could imagine if it's up to the king to decide whether or not to abdicate and you got these guys who are exerting at what's described as a Rasputin-like influence on him. Uh, and if their whole connection is this one guy and everybody else around them uh, really despises and resents them, they have a, a really strong reason to want to keep him on the throne and maintain their access to the private jets and the luxury cars and all that other stuff. Like, they, if they're in his ear, they're not going to be like, you know what, maybe it would be best for the country if you step down. Like, no, no. They'd be like, come on, man. You, you, this stuff is stressing you out. We should go to the club. Let's hop on a private jet, go to Paris, man. Come on, yeah. we, you don't need this crap. I mean, at this time, the Av- the Azatar brothers are both in their 30s. Abu Azatar is listed at 37. Otman Azatar is listed at 33. So I think you're right when you say, you know, if these guys have discovered a lifestyle for themselves that seems like it is both easier and more lucrative than being essentially like bottom rung UFC fighters, you can kind of see the one that they're going to choose and they should... Or they are, they would probably unsurprisingly do whatever it takes to try to uh, make sure that goes on as long as it can. Yeah. So we're going to, we'll put the, the link up to that economist story in the post over on the Patreon page for this episode of Doing the Damn Thing. If you are interested in reading it, you can find it there and, and check it out. Just don't forget to cancel your subscription to The Economist after you read it. Unless, I don't know, maybe there's a bunch of shit going on over at The Economist that you want to find out about. Probably. There are some CME listeners that are like, well, I already have a subscription to The yeah. Economist because I track the agricultural futures market or whatever. Yeah. There are probably people out there who have three subscriptions to The Economist don't even know it. <laughs> they shouldn't be allowed to do that. I already told you from the same email address with the same password. It shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't be able to do that. It should be impossible. <laughs> and yet. And, and yet, yet here we are. All right, we're going to shift gears a little bit here and we're going to do Cracking Up. Release the Kraken! Wenberg turns, he's marked by two. Hensick is one of those. Egan tries to push it up the wall for Buffalo and now Robert Hay canceled a bit by Schwartz. Here's Everly, he scores! to the forehand with a shot, he's got the board. Look at that reception there by Matty Beneers. Off balance, backhand, moves it up, outside the dots, they go short side, top shelf. Well, Ben, tonight at 7.30 p.m. in the one true time zone, we await game five of the second round NHL playoff series. 
between the Seattle Kraken and the Dallas Stars. This series currently tied 2-2 after splitting a pair in Seattle. And now we're gonna we are on to the one-one and one stage of this seven-game series. I don't want to uh I don't want to be too bleak about it, but I kind of feel like if tonight is not a must win, it would be better to win this this mm-hmm. game than lose because I feel like there's just a world of difference between being up three two or being down three two. Yeah. I mean it's not a must win because the must win is the game that would come after losing this one. The one where you're a game away from elimination. That one you really got to win. This one, it'd be really helpful to win. Yeah. You know, to just go in there and give yourself a chance where all you got to do is win one of the next two. You know, rather than got to win two in a row. Because especially the way this series has gone just sort of back and forth like that, anybody winning two in a row seems kind of tough to pull off. Yeah. You know, it would also be good to come out and win this game five in Dallas after getting absolutely shellacked at home on Tuesday by the Stars, losing six to three in game four, immediately on the heels of the Kraken coming out and absolutely putting a whipping on the Stars in game three. But just just by nature of falling behind six to three and playing what I have to say is one of their worst games of the year. One of the worst games that I have just seen the Kraken play as a team all season against the Dallas Stars. They were just they were making so many unforced errors, just kind of like either fumbling the puck in their own zone, causing, you know, letting Dallas get turnovers, letting them get free rushes at the goal It was not good for Seattle. They just looked discombobulated throughout that entire game. You kind of knew that Dallas was going to come out with a lot of urgency in that game after they had just been kind of punched in the mouth in the last game. So it'll be interesting to see tonight how the Kraken put it back together and come out to play the Stars in Game 5. You remember in the Avalanche series, it kind of seemed like every time the Avalanche landed a punch to try to take control of the series, the Kraken would respond. And so it will be interesting to see what happens tonight and what kind of effort you get out of the boys and whether or not they can put together a slightly better showing than they did on Tuesday. Yeah, I still if you want to hear me put a positive spin on it. Oh, and I do. I do. I want to hear your positive spin. I'm dying for your positive spin. The Kraken's 7-2 victory over the Dallas Stars. That one was in game three. More of a sort of complete game performance than the Stars 6-3 victory over the Kraken in Game 4. Really, in that in the, in the Game 4 loss, you're right that they did... So the whole game is by far the worst one they've played in these playoffs. Just You're also right to say that how many opportunities they just seem to give the Dallas Stars without making them earn it. Just giving them good looks at the net from center of the ice. And just sort of fucking it up that way. And yet, you know, you you really had one bad period there. You you got one period, the second period, which has been a problem for the Kraken throughout these playoffs. Something about the second period is when they sort of have suffer a letdown a lot of times. They give up four goals in the second period. You know, before that, they they went down one nothing with a late goal in the first period. Uh, They outscored the Stars 2-1 in the third period. And I feel like... The big problem for the Kraken is 
having a little bit of a letdown, and then the next thing you know, you look up and the game's out of reach. Yeah. Because just in a short span of time, they'll give up too many goals, the the momentum gets going the wrong way, and they have a hard time stopping the bleeding. But I think that in terms of when you look at the whole game, as long as they just don't get started down that path, or if they can just stop it without uh, everybody moping around with their heads down, uh, and sort of like a body language feel like everything is going wrong for us and woe is me kind of thing that you see, you can physically see happen to them in those moments. If they can just stop that from happening, if they can just give up a goal every now and then and be like, fuck it, it's one goal, we're going to go get it right back, rather than having this sort of like cascade of unfortunate events, then I think that they could be okay. Yeah, I should say for just clarification purposes, that final goal that Dallas scored was an empty netter. So it was actually 5-3 in the third. The Kraken kind of, I don't know if you could say they stormed back, but they cut the deficit to two goals there by the end of the third uh, period. And then the the Stars got one on on the empty net. And it, it has to be said again, after slumping through all of last season and the first half of this season, Kraken goalie Philip Grubauer has continued to mostly be absolute nails back there in front of the net. He is stopping everything that it seems humanly possible to stop. But when the guys out in front of you are just giving up the puck and giving the stars shot after shot after shot, and many of them pretty much point blank unopposed one-on-one situations like eh, i'm gonna score some of those some of those are yeah. gonna get past you and go in the net so is, if i'd also Ruba- say at least one of those was a goaltender interference that should have been wiped off the board that's true that was a weird uh replay i see it being new to hockey i've only seen the replay rule come into effect a couple of times and uh it seems like a big price to pay if you lose the challenge that you also let the other team go on the power play because in fact that did kind of happen to Seattle. If I'm not mistaken in this seer in this yeah. game, they went down three, one on the goal that could have been wiped off for goaltender interference. And then the ensuing power play for the stars was where they got their fourth goal that put them up four one. Right. I mean, it is something though, that would your calculation would change depending on the series and who you're playing and everything, because neither the stars or the Kraken have been particularly great on the power play in this series. Like the Kraken, honestly, one of the weakest parts of their game is the power yeah, play. They've been terrible uh, on the power play all year. It's like they're just passing it around to each other, waiting to get back to five on five instead of actually trying yeah. to score on the power play. But then there's other teams like you watch how the Edmonton Oilers have done in their series against the hated, loathsome Las Vegas Golden Knights, where I'm going to have some more shit to talk about here in just a moment, uh, where you got to feel like... And even if we think we got a good case here on review, you got to be really sure before you take that chance against the Oilers because they are just lethal on the power play. You're going to get out there in a situation where you got four guys uh, trying to do something about Connor McDavid passing to Leon Dreisaitl? Shit. Like, that's a nightmare situation. They've been so good on the power play that it's got to make you second guess any kind of challenge. The thing I will say about uh, how the Las Vegas Golden Knights seem like maybe they've decided to deal with that <laughs> is... You see this shit last yeah. night, Chad. Oh, this is how you play Drysaddle. This is how you take care of him. These fucking garbage ass, dirty ass Las Vegas Golden Knights. They go down 3 nothing in the first period. You know, they end up losing this one 4-1. But they figure, hey, looking like maybe 
We might not win this one anyway. I know when we see Dreisaitl out there, why don't we just go ahead and fucking hack his forearm right on the wrist, uh, just blatantly take a shot at the guy uh, to try to injure him clearly. Uh, just, just see if we can get him out of there. It's fucking garbage ass shit, that, and you would expect no better from the hated, the loathsome Vegas Golden Knights. This guy comes skating in there like a kid playing with a toy samurai sword, lifting his stick up over his own head and chopping it straight down on Drysidle's like arm and like pretty close to his facial region as well, kind of like uh, shoulder, arm, face region. And in the wake of this game, Connor McDavid getting about as fired up as you will ever see a professional hockey player get in an interview situation where it seems like they are trying to outboring each other in all of these interviews, basically calling for a suspension saying that, you know, that wasn't a hockey play. They're just out there trying to injure him. So they, the little, well, things are getting heated. Things are getting heated the, out there between the hated and loathsome Las Vegas golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers. The crazy thing about it is that after this, what's a, just a clear, just bullshit ass slash that you were just trying to injure the guy. Then, uh, Darnell Nurse gets hit with an with instigator and misconduct penalties uh, in the ensuing like fracas after this. Because and this is from the AP story, because the instigator penalty occurred in the final minute, it carries an automatic one game suspension, a decision upheld by the NHL. So the Oilers have to go without one of their best defensemen, as Connor McDavid notes uh, from about this Petrangelo slash. Quote, he comes from over his own head and places it kind of under Leon's chin. It's not a hockey play. Uh, his coach, Jay Woodcroft, agreed. Now, this is some classic hockey coach-ass bullshit. Quote, I would not define it as a hockey play, and I'd leave it at that. Blistering. <laughs> Just fucking blistering oh, criticism from an yeah. NHL coach. That is a straight-up NHL coach quote right there. Uh, good news. They gotta and, suspend this motherfucker for this I, one. Though. I think, you you got think to. they have to, right? Like, if that guy doesn't get suspended, I don't even know what you say. I don't even know what you say moving forward. I'm not sure what, especially if you're gonna suspend the guy from the Oilers for coming in in the last minute. I don't. I, I, it seems like you should get tossed for the series doing some shit like that. In my opinion, like that's just egregious. And I'm, I'm no huge fan of the Oilers, given that the winner of the Kraken. Dallas Stars series has to play the winner of the Las Vegas Edmonton series in the finals in the conference finals. But uh, that's just, that was shitty. That was a shitty thing to do. And you know what behavior that we have come to expect, frankly, from the classless low hated and loathsome Las Vegas golden Knights garbage, garbage team, garbage institution, garbage franchise. I was going to say a little bit of good news and bad news for the Kraken, despite the fact that they got snowed over by the Stars in the last game. The regular season leading scorer and best offensive player for the Kraken, Jared McCann, is back after assumedly suffering a concussion. And also in the NHL, they don't tell us much about what happens injury-wise, but he was the victim of a pretty dirty hit in the Avalanche series. He returned. He has not been an offensive factor in the playoffs as of yet, but he has also missed a significant portion of the, uh, of the playoffs. And so, you know, maybe McCann can get going a little bit here and help things out at the offensive end, because uh, it would be nice to see your best player from the regular season, carry that over into the postseason. 
Yeah, but you know, if we've learned anything about the Kraken during this postseason is that it's going to take a full team effort. We're This is the kind of team that, that when they go out and they score seven goals on you, it comes from seven different players. Yeah. So we, we can't rely on any one person to produce all the offense. Yeah, I think uh, everyone on the Kraken has scored a playoff goal except for one defenseman and then Jared McCann, who has been out for most of the playoffs. Everybody else who is in the usual offensive rotation has scored. I thought they said that during the last uh, broadcast, but you know, also I could have just imagined it could have just made that up. Well, we do have to at least reckon with the possibility, Chad, that we're sitting here on Thursday recording, cracking up. We got game five tonight. Um, Should the Kraken lose this one? They could then conceivably be eliminated from the playoffs over the weekend so that before we have a chance to do another Kraken up, the Kraken season could be done. Yeah. Now, I don't say that to bring anybody down. <laughs> I just a, say that. Are we checking in with our hearts right now? Is this a heart check I just want to know how the wall that you built around your heart is doing. Because I, I tell you what, I was happy that they made the playoffs. I was ecstatic that they won their first round series. Uh, against the defending champions. And I said, you know what? I won't expect any more. If we go and we get bounced from this series against Dallas, so be it. You know, we're, we're happy to be here. And then, you know, we go up to one in this series, even now tied 2-2. You see them actually on the ice together and you go, they can play with this team. It is yeah. not out of the question at all to think that they could beat this team and they could move on. Jesus Christ, move on to the Western Conference <laughs> Finals? That's fucking insane to even think about. Yeah. And... I already feel like I, I'm i going to be sad if that doesn't happen. If they get eliminated, I think I'll still be able to take it and in, in keep perspective on it. Remember that it was still a really good sign for your second season to make it this far, regardless of what else happens from here. But I can't act like I wouldn't be a little bit bummed. It's a complicated question. Uh, let me first, not to get off on a tangent, I just want to talk about my different my differing mindset between whether when the Kraken are ahead and when they're behind, which was laid bare to me by these last two games. In the first game when the Kraken ended up winning seven to two, when you're when they're up by three goals, I'm thinking, oh God, they're just barely hanging on to this. We're yeah. just hanging on to this three goal lead Don't by our fingertips. Do not fuck this up. And then when they're down three goals against the stars in the next game, I'm like, we are just getting our asses kicked. Jesus Christ. Like we don't, we look, we do look like a college team that took a wrong turn on the way to the frozen four and wound up in the playoffs. So it's just a funny psychological game that I play with myself, depending on whether or not they are up or down, which basically leads to me being nervous at all times, which is nice. That's a good that's a good effect, a healthy, I think, effect. Let's see what yeah. your Fitbit thinks about you watching these playoff games. Well, that'll be interesting to see. I My daughters have, at this point, bought into the Kraken uh, during this playoff run, especially because when the Kraken, you know, these... Games in the Western Conference in the playoffs, they start pretty late and everything. Yeah. And so it affects our bedtime routine where I'm just like, okay, I will read you this book that we're reading at bedtime every night during intermission. Like, you're going to have to wait until the first intermission before we're going to read our books and brush our teeth, get ready for bed. And especially my youngest daughter who, who can just sort of stay up till all hours and then get up in the morning without any issues. And so, therefore, I, I kind of let her do it sometimes. We'll just want to stay up as long as I'm up watching the game and everything. But 
Especially, I told you about how they discovered NHL Blast on Roblox. Yeah. And they will get out there and play it. You can choose, like, what team jersey you want to have, what number. And especially, ever since I told them about the Pepper Pot, Yanni Gord, who is one of the smallest guys on the ice, but is always in the middle of some shit when it pops off. Don't give a fuck. Gonna go out there, punch you in your face, and smile at you, Yanni Gord. And... The question that they had when they were putting together their little skaters for the NHL Blast game, and my daughter's immediately like, what number is the little mean guy? <laughs> I'm like, he's 37. She's like, okay, that's the one I want then. I'm like, all right. I like your eye for talent. You know what that is? That's NHL Blast on Roblox doing exactly what it was designed to do. <laughs> yes. Which I think is Although great. my daughter is also uh, sort of baffled at the suspension of disbelief that's required for this game because she's like look you're out there you're skating basically on rollerblades on the street outside the arena if people were showing up to the arena they'd see nothing but a bunch of hockey players going by and they'd be like what the heck is this plus if you're on the ice in there there'll be a zamboni going by while you're on the ice it just doesn't make any sense and i'm like look man it's a roblox game i don't know what to tell you yeah, sit back and and relax. Uh, so just to answer your question about my heart, is that I feel it changes almost day to day and game to game. Right now, if you told me the Kraken lose a back and forth series with the Stars in six games, I would tell you I would be disappointed, but I would probably mostly take it in stride. Now, if they come out and win tonight, and they are up mm. 3-2, then the heart is right back on the sleeve, man. Or yep. if they if they lose tonight and won game six to force a game seven, the heart would be right back on the sleeve. So, you know, they keep getting our hopes up, and, and so far they've kind of been good for it, but we'll see what happens. You know, it's if you lose in the second round of the NHL playoffs this year after being just dog shit last year, I think – after you process the in, the initial disappointment, you will have no choice but to be like that was that was a good season of cracking cracking hockey. Yeah, we got so we got game five tonight. We got game six on Saturday, if necessary. Game seven, Chad, would be Monday. Monday so, in Dallas. So any way you cut it, the next time we record cracking up, we will either be sitting here doing a season recap of how things went in twenty twenty three for the Kraken. Or we will be talking about the Western Conference Finals. And I'm going to tell you right now, if we are sitting here next week talking about the Kraken and the Western Conference Finals, we are going to be fucking insufferable about it. <laughs> Fuck everybody. You will not be able to live with us if we get the Kraken in the Western Conference Finals. You just, just know that going in. Yeah. On that note, that's going to wrap up cracking up this week. And of course, by extension, doing the damn thing itself. If you are new to the show, we hope you enjoyed it. If you are a $10 or $20 patron of the podcast, we love you all equally, but just a little bit more than all the people at the lower tiers. So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow with the Power Hour to get you set for UFC on ABC coming up over the weekend. As for right now, we're done. <laughs>